Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. How about those Hokies, Robbie? What? Escaping by, by the skin of our teeth from South Bend. Yeah, I think that's, that is the definition of escaping by the, the skin of your teeth, but a lot of resilience, so impressive. It really was, man. I want you to give us a cheers, and then we'll talk about the trip a little bit. I'll be boring, but I think, uh, well, actually, I'm going to give um, a shout-out. I'm going to pivot here and give a shout-out to Marshawn Williams and what he's done this year. I know it has not been the most productive running game for the Hokies this season. There's been a lot of frustration or at least question marks that we have as to why that's happening. But he has been running hard for us i'm you know he looks like a powerful back in the games that we he was in and if you haven't heard the news you're in a hole somewhere but he's out for the season tbd as far as i know pete if you have more information on what the actual injury is we know it's the knee i don't know if it's the same knee that he had uh, the torn acl with previously but he got dinged up and in fact there was a news bite today when Fuente was in his press conference, or sorry, I'm losing track of days. I guess it would have been yesterday that he actually went back into the game after knowing that there was something definitely wrong and, and hurt his knee on one of those runs. It's hard to tell which one it was, especially since he went back into the game afterwards. And his quote was, you know, I wanted to win the game and hat tip to him. I feel really bad that he can't finish off the season with the team. And I'm also just really proud of him and, and what he embodies as a Hokie and what he's done for the team this season. And hopefully he can come back and if he's healthy, he's healthy and, and, and play for the team in the future. Cheers to Marshawn. I don't have any more information on, on that. I don't think anyone does besides the, the staff and, and Fuente and Marshawn himself because I couldn't even see on tape when it happened in the game. Uh, I was re-watching the game after we learned about the injury and I couldn't even really figure it out. But uh, he had injuries on both knees before, so whichever knee it is has already been injured. Um, and I'm hoping he was able to come back once already, so hopefully he can do it again. It's a bummer. There's not a lot of time left in the season, so I guess it's you know, he got through a large majority of the season without any serious injuries, but it's a bummer. This trip was really fun, and not just because of the game, but because of all the friends Robbie and I went there with and just the setup and how we got down there. And we just want to talk a little bit about it because we did just a tailgate bus that was set up really well. It left from this bar called Racine Plumbing um, in Chicago. I guess it was Wicker Park area. And these guys had the the best tailgate bus like setup ever. You show up to the bar and they were pouring beers and had like bagels and muffins, everyone for breakfast. And it was like, they, it was organized so well. There was extra spaces on the bus. I think they actually booked a second bus later on because they had so many people that were trying to go on this thing. And it was travel, food, beer, the whole nine yards. And it was a lot of fun and people got really, really drunk. Yeah. It was a perfect setup. Exactly what you would, what you would expect going into something like that, but it never turns out to be as good. There's always, you're on a 
shitty bus or there's no food or not enough beer. They had everything worked out. They do it for all the Notre Dame home games. So they have it down to a science. And the buses were predominantly Hokies as well. So you couldn't beat that. Yeah, I'd say it was at least half Hokies, maybe two-thirds on our uh, on our two buses. And it was just a blast. You're right. They never – there was no – sense that we were ever going to run out of beer, which you're right. You're always worried about that on these things. You're like, ah, there's not going to be enough of whatever for everyone. But man, people were definitely enjoying themselves. And there was obviously a bathroom on the bus. We were on one of those nice coach buses. And right before we left, they do the obligatory. Could we just save all of your number twos until we get to South Bend? Because (laughs) it makes for a lot better ride. And that was like, I had been worried about Having to go to the bathroom, you know what I mean, for like a week on these buses. Anytime I do these party buses, I get so nervous I'm going to have to go. And they immediately like do the warning shot. Fortunately, I didn't have to go. But there's this kid, some Hokie fan who was just like a, a crazy person sitting right in front of the bathroom. And every time anyone walked to go into the bathroom, he's like – this guy's in here taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> it was and hilarious. whether it was a girl or a guy, he did it every time. He, I don't think, he did not miss one. No. <laughs> it was hilarious. The, the whole trip, he did it for two and a half hours. It was incredible. <laughs> there and back. <laughs> yep. At one point, a girl went in and he did look, she's taking a dump. And she comes out and she's like, I am not taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she so had, serious. She was unaware that he was doing it to everyone. But anyway. Uh the pregame was also fun, although it was snowing and absolutely freezing cold in South Bend. They had brats going, burgers going, and I don't know. I got I got pretty good and loose before we went into the game. I even stopped by Legends before we went in. I think Robbie made a visit there later. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we we were preoccupied because we missed you somehow, and we got some backstage access to. The what was closed at the time, the Notre Dame hockey facility, which if you follow us on Twitter, I posted as many pics as I could take. It was phenomenal. And they have an awesome setup. It's brand brand new. And it was just really cool being in there and seeing a lot of the tradition of, of you know, Notre Dame just in general uh, and also seeing, you know, some behind the scenes on the hockey team. So that ate up a good hour of our pregame. But I, I still got a little loose. Yeah, and that's a really big deal to Notre Dame, their hockey team. It's something that we're not too familiar with down in Blacksburg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more of a football and basketball in the main sports for us, but uh, that's a really big deal up there. And they also had a lunch pail. I saw you posted that picture. That was It was the exact same lunch pail, just painted differently and different messages on it and so on and so forth. But it was interesting that they had the same mentality for their hockey team as we do for our football team. So let's let's start with the game a little bit. We got to get into this and we'll talk a little bit more about the trip later. But it was the start of the game that we all feared. And we got down 17 to nothing and the uh, Notre Dame offense was doing whatever they wanted. They scored on their first three possessions. It was just as they were doing against uh Navy and Army the previous two games where they scored on virtually every possession. And it took us a while to get going yet again and there was a slow start. We had a first drive fumble, a second drive punt, and we finally got going in the second quarter with a nine-play, 61-yard drive, ended in, ended with the Evans TD run. But 
Notre Dame tacked on another touchdown on the pass from Kaiser and made it 24-7. to So there was already two 17-point deficits in this game before we fortunately responded with a drive right before the half. 10 plays, 75 yards, and it was capped with the sick TD by Cam Phillips where he juked out the ND defender, and that was just so highlight-worthy. The key play blasted it out, and we took a 24-14 to margin into halftime and had some life. Yeah, that that move that Cam Phillips pulled off there was outstanding. He recognized where the secondary coverage was. You could see him as he was going out for the pass, checking where they were, and knew the exact way to kind of juke and go back almost the opposite direction his body was moving to catch the ball. It, that was phenomenal. And I got I got to be honest, when we went down that much, I didn't. I didn't have a lot of hope, mostly because of the the weather, and I and we can talk a little bit about that and maybe the impacts that it had. I'm not sure how much it was for for either team, but the weather had me thinking. There's no chance here. Uh, you know, the ball's cold. You know, I, I'm going through my head. Gerard Evans. He's you know, from Texas. Oh my goodness, what's he going to be doing when it's freezing cold outside? How are we going to we have no real we have a little bit of a run game, but not enough to to try and make up that deficit and start getting really aggressive. So I was I wasn't in a bad place because I wasn't too emotionally invested in the game, but I I didn't feel good about it. Yeah, I had a little bit of a different thought on that, but I guess I want to talk a little bit about that after after we say what happened in the game. And basically, we started off the second half right where we ended it, the first half, with a touchdown, five-play scoring drive, 62-yard play to C.J. Carroll in the middle of that drive, and got a touchdown by Stephen Peoples and made it 24-21. And I was feeling really good. A little bit later in that quarter, though, the ball bounces off of Cam Phillips' hand on a deep bomb there. If he catches it, he might score a touchdown. Instead, it bounces right to the ND defender, and four plays later, they get a 67-yard TD by their running back, Josh Adams. And it seemed like a dagger. And at that point, I was a little little fearful that, yeah, we're not coming back in this game because things just seemed to keep going wrong when we had finally gotten some momentum. And that was always a recipe in our other games that we're not going to win. At the time, because you're, they don't have a jumbotron there, which was it was this. I couldn't believe it. I guess it's an old traditional stadium. I get it. So and so, I couldn't see that well. We were on that side of the field somewhat, but I thought the pass was a lot higher than it was. No, that that should have been caught. And at the very least, if you're going to deflect that thing, and you got somebody behind you and safety help. You got to make sure that you knock it way, way out of somebody's reach. That was a killer. I thought the same thing. That that was another momentum swing the other direction that I thought was going to be the dagger force. Fortunately, in the fourth quarter, Virginia Tech just kept that same offensive mojo going. They scored on three straight drives, including a TD to Bucky Hodges on a fade, and added a final field goal. And we took a thirty-four to thirty-one lead. And even though Notre Dame made us sweat it out on the final drive, we held on and won the game. And I don't know if I've ever seen a more amazing comeback and hold on for victory when you're facing just thing after thing not going your way in someone else's house 
in terrible weather for the offense you're trying to run, like you had mentioned before. Yeah, the you know the the one interception we had the fumble. We actually had four what four fumbles in the game. Only one of them was lost. We got lucky on that front, but they were facing just mountains of adversity in in this game, including what unbeknownst to everybody in the stands was an injury to one of our running backs. I I, I was just I was so happy. I guess is the best way to put it when we were at Legends celebrating loudly and enjoying the win because the ball was not bouncing our way in in a lot of way in a lot of respects. Yeah, I, there were so many negatives and and it was the slow start and the first half defense. We gave up 299 yards in the first half. The ball handling in general, the snaps, like you said, four fumbles, fortunately we only lost one of them and dropped passes. I mean, the cam drop pass was kind of like a tip drill, but Isaiah Ford had another drop pass in this game too. And it was just extremely hard to hold on to the ball. I'm not exactly sure if that was because it was cold or, or what, but I mean, Gallo couldn't even snap the ball. Uh, It just kept going high almost every time. And Evans made great efforts to not allow there to be more fumbles in the game. Uh, Trayvon was pulled from the game after his fumble even though I'm not sure who it was more on, but Fuente clearly felt Trayvon wasn't the guy in this game because after that one yard, that he had one rush, then he had the fumble, then he didn't play anymore. So I don't know. If, I assume it was a disciplinary thing for fumbling, but it didn't really seem fair with how much everyone else was screwing up. I, I don't want to read too much into it just because if you look back at the play calling and you have to watch kind of every single play to, to pick up on it, there's almost this rotation that's been happening with the running backs where Marshawn will go in for a couple series, then it'll flip over and then it'll flip. It kind of changes throughout the game. I do think the fumble had a little bit to do with it, but I'm not so sure that it was deviating from what Fuente has been doing in, in a lot of games. I'm not saying all of them thus far. And I can't remember what movie it's from, but I kept expecting all of a sudden Evans to turn around and just have like a football stuck in his face mask because everyone was either at his face, it seemed like, or higher, and he was reaching up for it. And it was just, I I don't, I couldn't, maybe it was the weather, but we've had problems with the snaps all, all season, actually. Yeah, there have been, there have been games where there's been plenty of snap problems other than this one. So the weather wasn't helping, but I guess it was just only exacerbating the problems that we've been having. And, I guess my one last major negative was, did you think the refs were, like, awful in this game? Yeah, I thought (laughs) they were terrible, actually. There was the mystery call on Teller, which was actually offsides on the defense, and then Fuente went crazy about it, which you never see him do that, which just shows you how egregious the call was, and got another penalty on him, which I'm not saying that Fuente didn't deserve that one, but, like, the whole thing never should have happened. And then there was the missed targeting call on Terrell Edmonds, which we benefited from greatly because not only was it clearly helmet-to-helmet contact, but Kaiser was sliding, for heaven's sakes. How did the refs not make some kind of call on that? And he had a close one earlier in the game that I don't think was targeting, but it was still close. He's getting a little bit reckless. I I was of the opinion that last time it was – 
This time it definitely was. And then there was one that was pretty close to call. He needs to tighten that up. I, I love his aggression. I love what he's doing, but it's getting it's getting a little out of hand. On Fuente's freakout, I thought there was I thought that was important in a, a couple of respects, and in, and more so than him just kind of you know going nuts on the sideline. I think he I I believe, and I may be way off here that one either he was frustrated with the calls, but two I think what was more the objective there was to pump up the team, and we were playing a little bit flat. And I think he wanted to get some energy on the field. And sometimes coaches do that. They'll go they'll go nuts and, and show that they're supporting their guys. Maybe I'm wrong there, and maybe he just kind of lost his temper. But he's been so even-keeled for so many games that I would be surprised that that didn't have some intention behind it. And at the end, people were talking about comparing that to Pat Narduzzi. Don't even go there because no. Fuente said at the end, he regretted the way he acted, and he regretted being the one that got the flag for the 15 yards. And I didn't never heard an apology out of Pat Narduzzi for what he was doing, and he did it for the entire game. Yeah, it's not the same at all. And and I, you're right. Maybe Fuente was trying to pump up the guys, but ultimately that made us have to punt. So I mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It it wasn't good, and um, but it didn't. It didn't affect us in terms of winning the game, but at the time, it wasn't a good penalty. Um, and I'm not sure if we got the desired result or not, but we won. The positives uh, was, for me, the second-half defense in this game. Uh, we only allowed 83 yards in the second half outside of the Adams touchdown. And 52 of those yards came on the last desperation drive. And the way we responded to the Adams touchdown, I thought was the most amazing because right after that happened, we had three straight three and outs. Uh, we forced Notre Dame into three straight three and outs, and two of those, you know, we scored right after. So, just a really good job by Bud to adjust in the second half. And yes, there was some mistakes, maybe by two or three players on the bust for the Adams run, but it was the only bust of the second half, and. I thought that it was just a really, really good coaching job because it wasn't just one or two guys that stepped up in the second half. The entire defense as a whole played so much better. I left early. I, I'm skinny as hell, and I was starting to turn blue. So we were at Legends watching the end of the game, and it was a quintessential Bud Foster adjustment in what he did, and there was one misplay. Outside of that one misplay, it was – was pretty exceptional uh, amongst the defense and I thought that was a huge positive my other positive was and I I don't want to stop kind of crediting him because he does it so often but Gerard Evans played his heart out absolutely whether it was running the ball passing the ball 76 percent completion percentage which it started kind of ugly and then it just was lights out uh, and continue to be throughout the game. 267 yards, two passing t- touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. He was 72% beyond the line of scrimmage, which I thought is a very impressive stat. And the the only other thing is, is I think this the game plan for him in passing the ball was the right one because 
the the pass distance beyond the line of scrimmage was seven yards, and it's been about twelve yards leading into this game. So they shortened up the field for him. They gave him throws that he can make, uh, even in the cold weather. And again, he went zero for three on passes longer than twenty. But you shouldn't be throwing out in that heavy of wind, and with you know what's going on with the ball and, and being comfortable with it, and you know having everybody having cold hands. You shouldn't be throwing deep balls. And we only threw, I think, three balls past the twenty. It was just the right game plan. I feel like they put Gerard Evans in a place that he could succeed in this game. I agree with you, man, and that's. Our coaches are so smart. They're smarter than I'd say probably 90% of the other coaches in FBS in the sense that they don't make the wrong calls going forward on fourth or uh, just when to kick a field goal and the adjustments for the defense in the second half, what the game plan is going to be, knowing the conditions. Like what did we do in the UNC game? It was similar. Like. Yep. And what did Brian, what did Brian Kelly do in his NC State game? Played in the same state in the same weather. He called a million pass plays. Yep. And we ran the football a ton against UNC. I mean, it's just so clear that Fuente outcoached Brian Kelly and always will. And the only games we've lost this year have largely been due to player execution errors, not because of. Poor game planning by Fuente or poor calls by Fuente. Sure, he's made some bad play calls in the red zone, and there's been struggles here or wherever, but the more and more I see him coach, the more I reflect and say that was the right decision in that situation again and again and again. I have a couple other things to say, so I'm not going to take it up too high of a level, but it just leads to your point so much is Fuente said at the very beginning when he got hired, He's going to do what it does, whether it's up-tempo, not, whether it's running, passing. They want to be run for first, but they're going to do what it takes to win games. And his game planning and his scheme absolutely mirrors what he said when he originally came in here. And that's super refreshing for a new coach that we see in action the game plan that he said he was going to implement, which is we care about winning games and we don't really care how we do it. We're going to scheme to the way to do it. So I thought your point is perfect and spot on in, in a lot of ways. Obviously, Ford had a decent game. Seven catches for 86 yards. He's so good. But another drop, and I'm not going to fault him too much on that one because everyone was mishandling the football. Cam, six for 56, also a drop. So there's a little bit of a drawback on both of these. But the the touchdown was so huge. And without – I thought the manner in which the touchdown was scored because it was kind of a spectacular juke fired the guys up a little bit more than they would have if it was just you know a pounding run into the end zone. It, it There's something to be said for the style in which that touchdown was scored, and it gave me a belief that, yeah, we might be better than this team. We might be on a different level than this team. Yeah, I mean it was fantastic. Uh, I have a couple players as well. I want to give a shout-out to Henry Murphy. Averaged 32 yards on his kick returns, had three kick returns, um, and his long was 36. So, yeah, he was productive in in that front. Um, I'm not sure what to say about Ludwig because the weather had such an implement on the punt game. That's been a problem for a lot of games this season, but 
it's tough when you're averaging out going into the wind versus you know not going into the wind you know throughout the the game. Uh, hat tip to C.J. Carroll. He is really becoming a, a you know a real force on this team with that sixty-two yard you know pass reception that he had. Stephen Peoples is stepping up and you know starting to run the ball, starting to get what Fuente said during his press conference was we want to give him a chance to to show his you know versatility and give him more of an opportunity on the field and he's taken it and he's he's done pretty well with it and Chuck Clark I feel bad for cuz he had that amazing interception across the field he was nowhere close to that ball not he wasn't I don't even think within 20 yards of that ball read it perfectly went out got it and then it got called back on the Trayvon Hill penalty being in the neutral zone. So I felt bad for him, but he still deserves the the recognition for, for making a play like that because he did. And it got, it got called back on somebody else. So just a few of the people that I thought um, on top of uh, obviously a Canem having another pretty decent game uh, and the sack at the end of the game, it was pretty awesome. And I like the new, yeah. news bite about the rescinded offer from Notre Dame. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Canham, he had a really good game the entire game. It didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet a ton, just two tackles for loss. But that big sack after we took the lead was enormous. And the the story of him, you know, not getting the scholarship after, after his injury, you know, they denied it. But he's the player, and, you know, I, I don't know why he would lie about it. So, it you know, I'm happy for him. I agree with your the continued emergence of C.J. Carroll is something that's really going to be beneficial for us now and down the road just because we need wide receivers to step up. We might lose Ford and Hodges this offseason. Carroll has 11 catches for 172 yards his last three games. That's incredible. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, you're talking about almost four catches a game and over 50 yards a game. So I, I, I'm loving his change of speed and the way he can juke people out too. So that's something that's going to be really good for us. I guess we should take it to a higher level. I went there a little bit earlier, but the two 17-point deficits that we were able to overcome in this game, that's the takeaway for me is that – all the adversity that we saw, just as much maybe as Georgia Tech, not as many on the turnover department, but just so many things not going your way and being on the road and you still manage to come back. Maybe it's more on Notre Dame than it is on us because we said in our preview that they fade down the stretch of games and their their coaching quality is definitely in question, but we still went out and made the plays and scored the touchdowns and made the sacks to to win this game and i think that's amazingly impressive yeah they they were destroying us on the edge early on i've never seen more wide open receivers on a few of their passes where our secondary just completely blew it a few of those fell on adonis and adonis seemed to come back in the second half the fact is is that this team was down by a lot of points twice in one game and they came back and they won it and somebody was joking around with us you know on twitter talking about you wanted to see us get punched in the nose which is a quote from me in one of our podcasts and come back 
this was a absolute punch in the nose in cold weather, which can't feel any better than uh, <laughs> that's got to that's got to hurt pretty bad. And they still came back and they're still fired up and they made it happen in the second half. And just really proud of the guys and excited that they they pulled off the W. Yeah, man. We're going to need some strong play from Evans and to, to continue upon this because he had two shaky performances against Duke and Georgia Tech. And with the three touchdowns in this game, an 80 QBR for the game, up to 31 total TDs on the season, which I think is a school record. Yep. If he can continue this, build upon this, we should have – very, very few problems against UVA. That's that's what I would that's what I would think. I agree, and he is everything. He is more than we thought he could be going into the year. I think he has exceeded expectations for even the most optimistic of Hokie fans in what he's done and his maturity in press conferences after the game. What you can see on the sideline from Hokie clips is incredible and he is a fighter if you see him on the sideline there was a clip of him on the sideline when we were down and we scored the touchdown and he was all business it it just looked like that's not good enough it's not good enough until we walk out of here with a w and i love it i love his attitude and we basically have no running game if it wasn't for him this year i mean it's in this game, and a game that we needed to probably run the football, we still really couldn't do it. And we went to Peoples and Marshawn, as we talked about. And I, Obviously, it's just not going to happen this year. And I don't know if it's because it's the fourth offensive line coach in five years for these guys. Uh, because last year, Trayvon had a lot of success, and we were able to open a lot of holes, and we're just not seeing it at all. That's okay. It's still getting us wins because Evans is just doing it all for us. And that's going to have to be okay for the rest of this year. Next year, we'll have to worry about why the running game's not on track. Do you want to take a quick beer break before we do our UVA stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want me to start it off? So, uh, Coworker of mine who's an awesome guy, I told him about the Treehouse Brewery or Brewing Company, I should say, out of uh, Massachusetts, Monson, Mass. And he he's a, he's a beer guy as well. So his family's from up there and had them go to Treehouse Brewery, which is kind of just in the middle of the woods and a bunch of people in line trying to get beers and they have a limit on number of beers you can buy. I think it's like 12 beers is the max that you can buy from them. And when they run out for the deer for the day, they just kind of flip the sign over and go, we're closed. And he got me the doppelganger beer. It's another American double IPA, another pretty highly ranked beer from them. I think it's also in the top 50, depending on where you look of beers in the country. And this brewery just just knows what they're doing. It's so well balanced. It's for a double. It's not as hoppy as you would expect. I think I could even let my wife drink it, and she wouldn't, you know, say it's disgusting. And she doesn't like IPAs or double IPAs that much. It's just another fantastic, well balanced beer. A great gift from him. He gave me one of them, and 
I can't wait to be able to get my hands on. It sounds like they're expanding as a brewery and you should be able to get it in other places, hopefully sometime in the next year or year and a half. But I would suggest if you're ever up there again, I would make a trip over there and grab some beers and bring them back home with you. What are you drinking? I'm very, I'm very jealous, man, because this is now the second one you've had on the podcast uh, from Treehouse, and our other buddy Nick said how much he likes it and knows about Treehouse, and I, I need some of that, man. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get some from somebody that's going up there soon because it sounds like everything they make is amazing. Yeah, don't, I'm having, don't go looking for it because they don't distribute. So, in case I, I hate sending people on wild goose chases, so don't go looking for it. They literally only sell out of their brewery and one other location, I think up in Connecticut or mass. So just so if it's not clear, hopefully one day we'll all be able to enjoy it. I'm drinking the great lakes brewing company, burning river pale ale. It's a 6% alcohol pale ale, pretty run of the mill. I'm not really enjoying it that much. And that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> that is as concise and to the point, I think as we've had on here. Before we get started with UVA, Robbie, I wanted to ask you, I can't let you off the hook on this. You said you left the game early and you were obviously cold. I, everyone was cold. I was freezing. You were sitting with a bunch of our friends. I actually had a separate pair of tickets with my girlfriend on the other side of the stadium. But most of you guys all left around halftime. But I didn't think it was only because you were cold. You're also very superstitious. I am a little superstitious, but to be clear, uh, a lot of those were our legacy, your friends, and most of them said they left at halftime. Some of them left after the first quarter, right? So <laughs> I don't want to call anybody out here, but I'm also going to call some people out here. And it was, it, yeah, it was, it was cold. I was superstitious. It, if I stick around in a stadium and we're losing, it usually just only gets worse and I, I got to be honest, I enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed the tailgating. I enjoyed seeing everything at Notre, Notre Dame. It's a beautiful place. It's a cool stadium. But the weather sucked. And if anybody wants to argue otherwise, go for it. It was cold as hell. I had five layers on, six layers on. I don't know how much you weigh, but I'm going to give or take buck 43 on any given day. There's not a lot of fat on me to keep the heat insulated, and I was the only one cheering in the section that we were in. So I kept jumping up. We were because we weren't in the student section. Just so to make that clear, we were in the heart of Notre Dame section. So I was jumping up, cheering, and people were just staring at me like I had three heads. And I figured if everybody was already heading to the bar at halftime, I would go there so I can be loud and scream at the bar rather than do it in a stadium where everybody looks at me like I'm an idiot. Well, I was on the other side of the stadium. Now, I wasn't in the Hokie section, but I wasn't too far. And there were so many Hokies in Chicago, in South Bend, in the stadium that I was blown away. And so at no point did I feel like I was kind of all alone in my cheering. But I still was respectful of the people around me who were Notre Dame fans and just kind of did my personal clapping and wasn't getting in anyone's face and that kind of thing, um, which was not how I acted at Syracuse, but that's a different story. I met in the parking lot probably three or four Hokie fans, and this 
shouldn't be a surprise given the people that likely listen to our podcast, three or four Hokie fans that I started talking to them, talking about Virginia Tech, when'd you go there, and found out that they're listeners of the show. So shout out to some of the people that we met there because I just turned around and people were saying that they listened to the, to the podcast. And that's probably because they were in South Bend in 24 degree weather in the snow. It's not a surprise that they listen to a podcast that completely covers the Hokies. That's that's true. Only only the truly dedicated would put their, themselves through our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, it was just a great atmosphere. Whether you're a Notre Dame fan or a Hokie fan, because at the end when we were winning and going to close it out, there was that "Let's Go Hokies" going for a good couple of minutes and. After we won, Fuente even said, can you hear that? Like, VT is a pretty special place. Whatever the exact quote is, I can't remember. But it was pretty amazing how many Tech fans were there. And I did stay the whole time. I felt like I was going to die because I was so cold. But I got a coffee at halftime, even though half the concession stands had ran out of anything warm to drink. It would it could have been scalding hot water. I would have drank it. But it was just bad coffee. And and it revived me for the second half. And I was like, I have to stay. This is the one time VT has played Notre Dame here, and it will be for a long time. So I stayed. We won. It worked out. And I am also superstitious. So I kind of felt like if I left, we had no chance. You felt we had a better chance if you left. That's exactly right. I'm a weird guy like that. I change my picks on a weekly basis depending on whether I think it's going to help or hurt us. All right. Well, let's let's start on hate week, man. It's, it's UVA week, and Virginia Tech has clearly sent a ton of our former players pictures of themselves playing against UVA to tweet out this week about hate week, about the fact that this is a huge rivalry and that we want to make it 13 straight. And that's a, I'm really blown away by that effort actually by our staff. Cause if you look on all the pictures, it'll say the years, the guy played what position. Um, and it's usually a picture of them tackling a UVA player or with a Commonwealth cup in their hand. It's been pretty cool to see this week. It was a full on marketing blitz and a fantastic one because all the former players, the big time players, and a lot of the guys that maybe didn't even start that much, all put their posts out for for beat UVA. I thought it was a great idea, well executed, and it's obviously working very well because you go on Twitter, it's just flooded with all of these pictures from former players. It's pretty incredible. It's it's awesome for a, you know for us. Guys who were were there right after Michael Vick and watched a ton of these players that are tweeting out in person and afterwards. Uh, It's really cool. And the fact that we're at 12 and going for our 13th is amazing against UVA. I've been nervous about this game for several weeks. But based on what just happened against Notre Dame, Right today is the least nervous I've been about this game, maybe all season. So I'll say this, and I said it on 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 social media, and I was I was frustrated with the Georgia Tech game because what we gave UVA is just frustrating in my mind. After losing that Georgia Tech game, we gave them a chance to one give Mendenhall 
I guess you could call it a marquee win if there's if there is a marquee win in a three win season if they ever pulled it off, right? A marquee. Yeah, this would be it. Yeah, this this would be it. You would end the streak of twelve straight, and you would keep Virginia Tech potentially keep Virginia Tech, I should say, out of the ACC championship game. We we offered a lot up to them. And now it is the team's prerogative. And, and what they need to do is go out there and realize, you know, we put ourselves in this position and they have to play well. And with that, I think I'm going to play a quick sound clip here because I think it's worth it. And I think it's going to be good luck for us. I hope it's good luck for us. Jim Miller has engineered the greatest comeback I've ever seen. The old... Drunken Miller. I love it. Oh, Druck. I love it, man. That, That's great. Against against UVA. So I feel confident, but still I'm still worried. I'm worried about every game. What can I say? Yeah, I'm I am not not worried to use a double negative there. They've got a new coach, and that might be the reason I'm the most worried. Not that Bronco Mendenhall, who's in his first year at UVA, has had an amazing season because they're two and nine. They're one and six in the ACC, but he had a seventy percent winning percentage at BYU, and he was there for ten years. And it does seem that UVA is improving, not a ton, but it seems like they're getting a little better. And we might all think that from their competitiveness against Louisville and then Wake right after. Particularly Louisville, because Louisville was so, you know, so such a heavy favorite and so highly ranked at the time. Like UVA was, there's no way they would beat them, but they almost did. I think because of that, we've been kind of blinded to how actually bad that they are. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. <laughs> it was a close game against a good opponent. You can say what you will about Louisville and the loss against Houston, but they're still ranked number 11, and that's a committee of, what, 12 people that really know their stuff about football, and they agree as well that this is still a top 15 team at the very worst. Yeah, and UVA played them tough. Duke also played Louisville tough. And I think Duke is significantly better than UVA. But it was a good game for them. But since then, they've given up 450 yards to Miami. They gave up 7.8 yards per play to Georgia Tech. They gave up 200 and some 220 yards on the ground to Wake. And that's all happened since the Louisville game. So the defense has not really been getting that, that much better. Like I said, maybe a slight improvement over the initial part of the season, but the last three games would would tell you otherwise, particularly on the ground. Their offense, in their six straight losses, they haven't won since October 1st against Duke when Duke turned the ball over five times coming off of their Notre Dame victory, which I see the correlation there. Yeah, but that, that's uh, let's just leave they, that one. Let's just leave that one aside. Duke got some of that ND stink on them, but <laughs> I'm hoping that, that doesn't happen to us. That's a that's a Ty Hilton brand reference that he always says on the solid verbal that that ND stink. It's hurt a bunch of teams this year. Such a great reference. I don't know how how well known it's going to be, but it's good. Um, so yeah, over their last six games. 
the UVA offense is averaging 322 yards. That would be slotted at 122nd nationally if that was their year-long average. So their, their overall average is 104th. But over the last six games, during these six-game losing streaks, which most have been in conference and ACC play, they're actually even worse than that. In the S&P, they have the 86th-ranked offense. They have the 105th-ranked pass offense and the 89th-ranked rush offense. Now, the difference here that we're going to be facing is they benched their starting quarterback two games ago. So last game, Matt Johns, who you'll remember started the game against Tech last year, started against Georgia Tech, and he will again be the starter against us. And I don't think it matters whether it's John or Kurt Benkert, who was the starter before. They're both not very good. But I would have rather seen Benkert, and obviously that's probably because he got benched. But he wasn't having a good season, but Matt Johns also wasn't any great shakes. Right. The real difference here, and you're exactly right, I would lean a little bit. I guess I would lean towards Benkert. Matt Johns, among other things, isn't very good at protecting the football. We haven't exactly been lights out in interceptions and things like that, that uh, real game-changing plays in the secondary. We've had a few good ones. Some of them turned turned the other way around when we had penalties. But I think we need to take advantage of that. He extends plays with his legs more, and that is never a good formula for, for us. And I hate to harp on it so much, but it's just it's turned into fact at this point. I don't think it's speculation or thought about what's going on. And I think he's a little bit better in getting mobile, maybe getting outside the pocket and making something happen with the ball. So I agree with you. This is probably, if if I had to pick to our strengths on the defense, this probably wouldn't be the way I would have gone in terms of the way things shook out. Well, I'll, you know, we always want to go up against a quarterback that doesn't run very well. And Matt Johns, if you look at his 2015 stats, because he was the starter for UVA all of last year, you know, he wasn't a good rusher. I think he had 1.4 yards per rush. I think he had a total of, what do I have here, 81 yards rushing on the season. But get this, against Virginia Tech last year, 58 yards on six carries. So, mm-hmm. uh, yet again... And it was worse last year than it is this year. But we are become susceptible to even quarterbacks who can't run. If they have if they have two legs and <laughs> don't have legs stuck in molasses like Brad Kaya, they're gonna rush on us. Yeah. And that's what Matt Johns did last year. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. But to your other point, he doesn't protect the football. Last year, twenty touchdowns, seventeen picks. So you're almost one for one there. And he had two interceptions against us. And in that game, he had a 58.5 QBR, which I follow the QBR closely, and that's not very good. It's not terrible, but it's not very good. He's aided by a bunch of good skill players. Yeah. Um, Mizell is kind of what frightens me most. I think it's what frightens everybody. He had 24 rush attempts for 131 yards and another six receptions for 45 yards last week. On the year, he has ground action of about 165 carries and 827 yards, six TDs, or maybe it's five TDs, sorry. And 
you know, relatively impressive, but Albert Reed is kind of even more frightening in terms of just being able to be productive on the field. 98 carries, 480 yards, and six six touchdowns. So there's there's some skilled players on this team, despite how how bad they are, um, and and everything that we've characterized thus far. Yeah, Mizzle and Reed, like you mentioned, had nearly 200 yards combined last week against Georgia Tech. And and this is the most rushing yards that Mizzle has had in any of his years at UVA. He is a senior, so this is his last year there, thank God, because he was a top talent coming out of high school and was instantly good for, for UVA. Last season, his numbers were almost virtually split between his rushing and his receiving. This year, he's has more rushing yards by a fairly significant margin, but is still very dangerous receiving uh, 51 receptions, another two touchdowns there, and 406 yards. I mean, they use him out of the backfield, not the best average per reception, but that's that's to be expected for a running back. But Mizzle is the X factor. Reed, he's a between-the-tackles guy, 5'9", 215, a bigger, more solid back. But Mizzle is who we have to worry about. And the other part that I'm a little worried about, and and this is going to lead into why I think we need a little bit of luck on our side in terms of the health of our team, but these wide receivers all do about the same thing for them. They've got three guys in addition to Mizzle that have essentially the same numbers, 45 to 50 receptions around the 500-yard mark, 10 to 12 yards per reception. And then even the TD distribution is split. You got Keon Johnson, Olamid Zacchaeus, who we all know from last year, and is kind of the, the Kadri Henderson of this group. He's 5'8", 190. And then uh, I guess it's your cousin, Donnie Dowling. Hey, that's the one. I, you, you, took my, you took my steam right there. So I, I may overpronounce things with going with Mizell. I guess it's just Mizzle. So... I should I should not overpronounce. I have this. no idea what it is, but <laughs> yeah, it's one of those two things because I don't watch UVA games and I don't really care about them. But Donnie Dowling, I think Dowling I could pronounce pretty well. I'm just guessing <laughs> about it. But 47 receptions for 600 yards that's not that's not too shabby. And yeah, you're exactly right. They've been spreading it around to to those core three and been pretty successful with it thus far this season. I know. And I'm a little worried, but my point that I was going to say is that it would be nice to have Greg Stroman back for this game. (laughs) Not that any of these guys are amazing, but just with the, the number of them, you got three different wide receivers that can all hurt you. It would be nice to, to have enough uh, DBs to cover them. And we will put guys out there and we should be fine. But, uh, but it worries me a little the no, the sheer number of guys they can they can pass it to. Their offensive line is not that great. In fact, they're 119th in sacks allowed, meaning they're giving up 3.18 per game. That's mm, the sixth worst in the country. So I expect us to get a few sacks on Matt Johns as long as you don't let him out of the pocket too much and. Like I said, he got loose on us some last year, but for the most part, we've been better with the traditional drop-back passers preventing them from 
from rushing. We knew Kaiser was going to get yards. We we've known that you know certain other quarterbacks are going to be an issue because they're just they've got good feet and they move quick and know when to to go. I don't think Matt Johns is that type. And last year, our defense against any running quarterback was so bad. I don't think it'll be that bad again this year. Let's switch over to the defense. I did indicate that I don't think they're getting that much better, but they have some playmakers. In fact, I think they have one really good playmaker at each level of their defense. Well, one of them that should be on our team, so I'm not bitter <laughs> at all, but I hope it's been I hope it's been fun while you were there. And I'll just oh, leave yeah. I'll just leave it at that and I think you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, well, there's at least at least one and their defensive line they're okay as well like the like the o line they're you know they're all right 79th in tackles for loss 57th in sacks so middle of the road but they're led by Andrew Brown who we've recruited heavily we were hoping to get 13 tackles for loss 6 sacks 2 pass breakups he finally put it together this year in his junior year and he's having a tremendous season for UVA and other than him, their defensive line is nothing to speak of. That's the only name I have, and I could I was having trouble finding other stats. And after I made my comment earlier, there's really two people on that team that should be on the tech side of the ball, and the other one is in their their secondary. They gave up three TDs in a 45 yards or longer against Georgia Tech. Not a good look. I I think that. You know, we we need another one or two C.J. Carroll moments. You know, the long the long run, the long pass, whatever the case may be, we need something to really be a game changer to set the momentum. I think they're going to sell out on the pass against us, especially after the injury that just you know we took. Um, but I don't think they have the talent necessarily with only one player and Andrew Brown on on the defensive line and then who'd you have who'd you have at linebacker that you thought was good i guess it's kaiser oh yeah sorry i have kaiser my bad yeah linebacker to me is their strongest position and it's not because of i mean it starts and ends with kaiser but like bradshaw is a solid player peace is a solid player jordan mack is a solid player Kaiser is so incredible. He's fourth nationally in tackles per game, 59 solo tackles, 10 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, six pass breakups, and an interception. Like every aspect of playing defense, this kid is amazing. He's like he's like Luke Keekley production-wise, which is saying something. He is so, so good, and he's the reason why UVA's Havoc rate for the front seven is ranked 31st nationally. They have a bad defense, yeah. but their front their front seven havoc rate is thirty first because of Kaiser and and partially because of Brown and the linebacking core in general. Like I said, it's a strong position. When you get into their secondary, it's Quinn Blanding and basically a bunch of junk. That's it. I mean, it's it that that's the only name they can really come up with. Nobody else has really produced much for whether it's. Pass breakups, whether it's interceptions, even Quinn Blanding this year, he's he's been productive, but I think he has two interceptions. Uh, he is second in tackles, but that's to be expected because 
they're obviously spotting him on the number one wide receiver every game because he's that talented. And he would have looked better in, um, you know, maybe maroon and orange. <laughs> I'd say so. He might have also gotten to a bowl game if he had come to Virginia Tech. But <laughs> he's 11th nationally in tackles. So they have two of the top 11 tacklers in the country in terms of a per-game basis on UVA. And maybe that's because their defense is on the field a lot. But still, these two guys, Kaiser and Blanding, are making so many plays. It's amazing that their defense is as bad as it is when you have literally two superstars on your defense. If we had one of these guys on our D in addition to who we have, we'd be a top five defense. Like They are so good, and it's just a shame their talents are wasted at UVA. There's a little bit of, and I don't want to throw shade at the stats because they are what they are, but there's a little bit of sometimes you got to make up for the people around you. So you may get that tackle because nobody else is getting it, right? So you got to you get put in a position where you may be whatever, a mic, or you may be whatever position you are, but your coach is shading you over a little bit to make sure that you're in a position to try and cover, cover two positions. I think there's a little bit of that going on, but there's no doubt that those three players are are really exceptional on the defensive side of the ball. And there's also no doubt that the other players around them are not very good. That may be true. I I think that's that's probably that's probably closer to true because I think although Bradshaw is a decent player and Kelvin Rainey's an okay player and Juan Thornhill is a sophomore and has five pass breakups and three picks, he's an okay player, but like. The fact that you have two guys in your team that are averaging over nine and a half tackles per game, like they are doing all the work. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and so my last thing I want to say was just a, a special teams thing on UVA before we get into the to the keys to the game, and that was UVA has made just four field goals this entire year. They are four of nine on field goal attempts. That, That's hard to believe. Is that possible? I didn't think that was. First of all, the I think the most outrageous stat there is there's only nine attempts. Yeah, there's only been nine attempts. Period. Maybe because they know they can't make them, but that's four field goals, the second to last nationally, as you would expect it to be, as close to the bottom. Um, by comparison, we've made 19 field goals, which is 18th nationally, and is also or, or sorry, eighth nationally, but it was also a reflection of our red zone troubles. UVA is 14th in TD percentage in the red zone, which meaning when they get there, which isn't often, they score a touchdown 74% of the time. So if UVA gets in the red zone, I guess we should be worried they're going to get seven, but I don't expect them to get there that much. And I think probably there's some, they go for it on fourth down a lot because they don't have a kicker, so that increases the TD percentage. All this shit is linked. But when you look at the fact that UVA has four field goals the entire year that's just that's just bad that's horrific actually that's really bad <laughs> all right do you want to move to keys to the game yeah mine are going to be sh- go mine are going to be short and sweet it's just going to be we should I'm sure we have the same ones <laughs> yeah for for me i think it's going to end up what i think we have to do is obviously the defense needs to show up in particular 
I think are we got to find some solutions in the secondary because some of what we saw against Notre Dame was absolutely ugly. We had people wide open in space, no coverage. Adonis was on one time. I thought he was sitting on the bench, but he was actually in coverage and he cleaned it up a lot in the second half, but it did not look good. And I think that they could do some damage there if all of a sudden, because it's a rivalry game, Matt Johns decides to start throwing it well. And then we got to we got to be able to protect sideline to sideline in this game because Mizell, Mizzle, however you want to speak it, if he is performing as well as he is or has been thus far, we're going to have see him catching passes, running the ball, kind of doing everything all over the field. And they're going to rely on him for a lot. And we all, they also have three wide receivers that have shown themselves at least capable. I'm far less worried on the defensive uh, – or sorry, on the other side of the ball because I don't know how they're going to cover the trio or I would be starting to move towards – what is it? The quadruple, <laughs> the quad of adding Carroll to the mix of the wide receiving core. That's that just spells trouble for a defense. And I think we can be really productive on that side of the ball. So and protect the football. That's number one in the games that we win. We protect the football and the games that we've lost. We haven't for some teams. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that that obviously makes sense. Our, the correlation of us fumbling or having interceptions to us winning or losing is pretty astounding so far this season. Agreed. That was number one on my list is keys to the game, take care of the football. And you're right. It sounds, of course, you could say that for every college football game. But for us and what we've seen this year in terms of our wins and losses, it's it's might not be... The only thing, but it's the most important thing. The way off the offense is run with the pitches, with Evans having to throw so much because of the lack of running game, you have to take care of the football. Play with passion, play with toughness, whatever you want to call it. Focus. If you can do those things, we'll win this game. And it won't be by a large large margin but it'll be by a comfortable margin if we take care of the football and play with the fire that needs to that a uva virginia tech game needs to be played with we cannot come out and play scared like georgia tech if that happens we will lose i don't care how good uva is or how good they seem on paper we will lose georgia tech wasn't much better than uva on paper They're, they really aren't yeah and they took it to us 20 to nothing. And the next game we get down 17 to nothing. Start like that again, it's not going to end pretty. You can't keep doing that to yourselves. But I think it is as simple as protect the football, play with a with a passion and a desire to win that you should when you play UVA. And then just just play your game because we should be able to do what we want to do on offense with our playmakers like you said. We've got the big 3 We've got C.J. Carroll. I think Trayvon should hopefully step up. He's going to have to because Marshawn isn't going to be an option in this game. And whether you want to slam Sam Rogers or Stephen Peoples in the line ten times, 
To me, Trayvon is a better option 99 times out of 100 than those two guys as much as I love them in terms of running the football. But Sam getting his few plays in the passing game, we should just do what we've done all season offensively. We're going to pass the football. We're going to use our our advantage against this largely young secondary outside of Blanding. And the UVA, UVA offense, they're not good enough to score more than 21, 20 points unless we really help them out with turnovers or penalties. That I, They just they won't. They won't score more than 21 points unless we completely screw this up. I think the players hopefully understand how important this game is. Fuente, I think, is learning how important this game is. He understands how rival, rivalry games work, but this, this one is pretty big because it's the first one for him with 12 in a row that we've won. I mean, do you really want to come in and be the coach that, that drops that? Come on, that's he is going to get amped up this week, and I think that's going to be a big positive for us. You want to get into picks? Ho- oh, sorry, yeah, let's do the picks. We gotta we gotta move this along. Um, we're gonna be quick here, but can I tell you what I'm drinking first? Oh yeah, we're gonna get quick beer break. I'm drinking the Breckenridge Brewery Avalanche. It's an amber style ale, and it's really quite good. It's it's a lot better than the Great Lakes Burning River Pale Ale I just had. And I'm a big fan of Amber Style Ales, so there wasn't any doubt that I would probably like this. Breckenridge does a great job with their labeling and their bottling. I think they have the logos and everything right on point. And this one's very much made for a wintertime drinking style of beer. The Avalanche Amber Style Ale from Breckenridge Brewery. It's good. So I'm drinking the a tall boy of the still unapologetic IPA. It's a stone, and it's just it, it it's just not that good when you when you have a really good beer and then you kind of switch over. So I'll probably be nicer to it on Untapped when we do our review rankings because I'm coming off of a fabulous beer, but it, I can't put my finger on it. It just it's not that good. It's, it's not that malty. It's not overly hoppy or underly hoppy. It's just it has a weird taste to it. All right, so I guess the first game is is Virginia Tech yep. against UVA, and that line has been moving kind of crazy, and uh, it's kind of large. All of the favorites that we have on the docket today are at home, so we're not going to specify, which is pretty incredible, actually. I don't think we've seen that all season. All of them are at home, so we'll just jump right into it. It's Virginia Tech, UVA, Virginia Tech, 18 and a half. What do you got? I'm taking UVA, and while I think we will win this game, I think that anything close to a 20-point line is far too much when you look at the history of this rivalry. Sure, we won 38-0 in 2011. I think that is the exception, especially when you see how our program has looked the last few years and just how the games have gone. I'm taking UVA and against the spread. Not to win. Taking Tech to win, I think it'll be a 7-13 to 13 point margin. I have UVA as well. Obviously, to cover, not to win. And that's as much of just hoping that I can unjinx us or jinx us or whatever the case would be that ends up with us with the W. Next game that we have, 
It's UNC, NC State. Line is 11 and a half. What do you got there? I don't know what to do about NC State because they play UNC tough every year, but UNC is the far better team, and NC State has been total Jekyll and Hyde. This is a, in terms of the spread, it's a total coin flip for me. I'm going to take NC State because of the rivalry game, because of their success against UNC, but I don't feel good about it. I have UNC because, again, I'm trying to jinx it. If they get a loss and somehow we throw out a complete dud, I want us to be in a better position, and that's the only reason, and I have bad luck, so I hope that it ends up working out for us. Next game... Georgia, Georgia Tech, that heated rivalry that has become irrelevant as the years have gone on. Four and a half to Georgia. Who do you got there? I like Georgia in this game. I don't think Georgia Tech is going to be able to pull it off in Athens. So I'm going to go with Georgia. I got Georgia Tech to cover for no reason whatsoever because I don't care about this game whatsoever. So uh, this was... uh, (laughs) 50-50 50-50 pick for me. I'll pick well, the... I wanted, Go ahead. I wanted Georgia Tech to win. I want Georgia Tech to win for ACC purposes. I just don't think they're going to be able to get it done. I'll pick this next one first. So you have number 11 in the latest college football rankings versus Kentucky. The spread is 26. I have Louisville. I know it's crazy. I know I've lost on this friggin' wide margin so many times and I'll probably lose again. But the reason is now they're out of the playoff and I think people are going to come out with a chip on their shoulder and kind of pissed off that they lost that game against Clemson that really shut them out of their playoff potential for this year despite their rank. I'm going with Kentucky. This rivalry is like you said, heated. This is a as heated as it gets. Kentucky and Louisville, they hate each other, and twenty six points is a lot. I don't like the pick because Louisville just lost last week. So I hear what your pick was, but Kentucky can do some really fun stuff on offense with their running back Snell, and I just think that they're gonna they're gonna keep it closer than twenty six points. That's just too many in a, in a rivalry week game. Next one game that we have is Wake versus Boston College. This is a this is a great game. Are, oh yeah, are you excited oh, yeah. the, about this? I mean, I don't. Do I really need to say Wake is three and a half point favorites? I'm taking Wake. I have Wake as well. I think the UConn game. UConn is just bad, so I went Wake as well. So Pitt is a twenty four and a half point favorite against Syracuse. It's a lot of points. <laughs> no, that's a tremendous amount of points. I went Syracuse just based on the points. I know Pitt's been looking really good. I think Pitt's a really good team. I've spoke very highly of them, at least in private, maybe not on here. But I think they're a really good team. But that is a ton of points. I understand it's at home. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to go with Syracuse one more time. 24 and a half is so many points. Agreed. That's a ton. This one was a little bit tough. Miami, Duke, minus 15 to Miami. 
I just think that at the end of the year, Duke, I'm going to pick them. More than two touchdowns seems like a lot. You know, 11, 12, 13-point spread I would have been okay with. I know Miami's been playing very well and blowing out people, but it's Cutcliffe, and he knows how to scheme against people even when the chips are, you know, you know, not stacked in his favor. Yeah, this is a really hard one because I like both of these teams. The momentum I'm seeing from Miami and the fact that Pitt was able to do what they did against Duke last week. I'm going to take Miami minus 15. Not something I would have done a couple of weeks ago, but now I feel more comfortable taking Miami as that heavy of a favorite. Okay, we're moving on. And I know it's a lot of games, but we're getting through quick. Number four, Clemson versus South Carolina. Clemson is a 24-point favorite. I have South Carolina to cover. They've started improving. Clemson's already done what they need to do for the, the year. All they have to do is pull off a W here and move on to the, the ACC championship. So I'm going I'm going South Carolina here to cover Obviously not to win. I think they lose by 21, something along those lines. 24 seems a little bit steep. I agree. I'm taking South Carolina against a 24-point spread. FSU is number 14. This is actually a pretty good game if you believe the rankings. I don't know how Florida ended up number 15, but that's another conversation altogether given how abysmal their offense is. Uh, Number 14, FSU versus number 15, Florida FSU is a fifteen or seven seven point favorite. I have FSU. I really don't believe in Florida's offense. Their defense is fantastic, and I think this will be low scoring, but I think it's going to be more than a touchdown, in my opinion. It seems easy sometimes to just take the underdog in a rivalry game, but because all the favorites are at home, it gets more difficult. I think I'm going to take Florida. I don't know why. I just don't think either of these teams are that particularly good. So I'm going to take Florida against those seven points. All right, and the last was your suggestion, which is number one, Alabama versus Auburn. Alabama is a 17-point favorite. What do you think? Should I go down with the ship, or should should I switch over and finally give Alabama their respect? I don't know what to do here either. I mean, clearly you're thinking Bama has been crushing people, and if they're going to crush anyone, it's going to be Auburn. But it's the rivalry game. But at the same time, Auburn might be kind of secretly bad. So I I don't – oh, man. I haven't gone against Bama much. And in this one, I'm not going to do it either. Bama, 17 points. Make it 20. I don't care. I'm taking Bama. I'm taking Auburn. I'm going down with the ship. <laughs> if I just if I flip the script on my picks against Alabama, I would be in such good shape head to head because our picks are two against each other right now. Like you're two points up, two picks up on me, and I'd be in great shape. But I'm going down with the ship. I'll throw this one away if I have to. That'll pretty much do it, man. I mean. This is what it really comes down to for Fuente this year. And you said it 
It's his first year. You don't want to be the guy who comes in and can't keep the streak going. I think he gets it done. I think we're just better on a, on so many levels. And as long as we don't have a Georgia Tech or a Tennessee experience in terms of the turnovers and the ball security, we should win. And it might not be by a lot, but it'll be a win. Thanks to everyone who listened to us this year. I hope that we have one more regular season game next week against Clemson in the ACC title game. We shall see. But until then, go Hokies. Go Hokies.